Glory to Jesus Christ, Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their history, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is the story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office, at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianmedia.com Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya, your host. And we are within the post-festive period in the Byzantine liturgical calendar of the great feast of the Dormition of the Mother of God. In other words, her falling asleep, and we call it that in the Eastern churches for a very deep and beautiful theological reason. This feast is also known in the Western church as the Assumption of the Virgin Mary or the Mother of God. And major feast days in the church, both East and West, have post-festives and also pre-festive. In other words, it's kind of a warm-up period to them. Then the climactic moment of the feast itself with all its traditions, such as this one, in which we bring herbs and flowers into the church and we bless them and distribute them. And then there's kind of a falling action or kind of a living out of that climactic moment, the meaning of the feast, and that's what's called the post-festive. And this has a post-festive of several days this Feast of the Assumption, or the Dormition Mother of God. And that is why today we thought we'd still focus on this feast day, because it's a powerful feast day. It's so magnificent, in fact, that I've brought some help along with me today to help talk about this feast day and its significance for the world, the church, and for womanhood. So we welcome to Light of the East, a good friend of ours, Katrina Zeno. Welcome, Katrina. Glory to Jesus Christ. Glory to him forever. Thank you, Father Tom. It's great, great to be here. Great to be here. Yeah, great to have you here. And also, Katrina Zeno, many of you might remember her or just or have heard of her. First of all, because she has written three books, one of which is called Discovering the Feminine Genius, Every Woman's Journey. And the other two books, Katrina? Uh, the other two are The Body Reveals God, A Guided Study of Theology of the Body. And then the third one is entitled When Life Doesn't Go Your Way, Hope for Catholic Women Facing Pain and Disappointment. And also, you might recognize Katrina's voice. Or if you saw her, you might recognize her. She has been on EWTN, right, Katrina? Yes, I had the privilege with Father Richard Hogan of doing the very first Theology of the Body series that they ever aired. And so, yes, people occasionally tell me they saw me on that, or I guess every once in a while they still hear it on radio. <laughs> and speaking of recognizing people, I'd like to recognize some of our loyal listeners out there, especially from the West Coast and those of you who are in prison who have written to me. I try to get back to you best I can, but sometimes it is difficult. But please know that you are in my thoughts and my prayers, and we really, really appreciate the fact that you write to us from prison. And we especially appreciate the fact that we can be of some service to you as you are serving 
your time and working out your own personal redemption in this particular area of your life at this time. So our prayers are with you, and we really appreciate you writing to us and above all listening. I want to thank also Sonia for all of her all of her loyalty to us here at Light of the East, and also Charles Cook, who got it all started for us. And all of you listen to us, Jack, Lou, and many of you, especially in the West Coast. Now, as I mentioned, we're in the post-festive period of the Dormition of the Mother of God. And in the church, as always, these feast days are, are rich, rich in expression, in the art, the liturgy, the text, the gesture, the customs of the church. As I mentioned, we bring flowers and herbs into the churches in the Byzantine church on this feast day because we bless them and we take them home and we put them where we can see them. Some people even kind of take those flowers and press them and dry them out and put them in their Bibles. These are almost like little, little remembrances or keepsakes. These are what's called sacramentals, not sacraments, but sacramentals. In other words, they're physical things that help to draw us into the reality of the feast especially the, the theological reality, the meaning of it. And they, they help us, they're kind of like a little touchstone, a little something we can touch or smell or taste. Recently, we blessed fruit from our garden and vegetables on the Feast of the Transfiguration. Again, another physical reminder that draws us into the reality of that feast. Well, now we bless flowers and herbs. And one of the reasons we do is because the tradition says that when the Mother of God died, or in the sense that she died, meaning she passed gently, body and soul, into heaven, when the apostles came to visit her tomb, because she, she was laid in a tomb, so there was some sense of a kind of a death, but when they came together, and by the way, Thomas was late again, and he comes together with the apostles finally, and he wanted to see the mother of God, or thought he, so he thought she would be there. When they came to her tomb and entered it, something very similar happened as what happened with Jesus Christ. The tomb was empty and her body was gone. She had been assumed body and soul into heaven. The only thing that was left was the fragrance of flowers. And that's one of the reasons why we bless flowers during the Feast of the Dormition, or the Assumption, in the Byzantine Catholic Church. Now, Katrina, this whole question of Mary dying is a very interesting one. It has been in the Church, and it's very significant for us, for womanhood, and also for all humanity. Yes, it is. It's because, especially for those of us whose passion is theology of the body, by the very title of Theology of the Body, which happens to be my specialty, we notice that the emphasis is on the body. And in my experience, many of us often think that our bodily existence ends at death. In other words, we die, our body returns to dust, end of story. And actually, the Feast of the Assumption has become probably my favorite liturgical feast as as an adult, because it reminds me that death is not the end of the story, even for our bodies. Mm -hmm. You know, in, in the creed, we pray, I look for the resurrection of the dead. And many people think that that just means our soul goes to heaven. Yes. And the reality of the assumption is that it reminds us, no, ultimately, when Christ comes again at the eschaton, all of our bodies will be raised and reunited with our souls and glorified. And Mary, because she was free from the effects of original sin, doesn't have to wait for the eschaton for that to happen. It happened immediately when she passed into eternity, which is why I think the expression in the Eastern Church of the Dormition of Mary is very helpful for those of us in the West, because it emphasizes this idea that she passed from this life to the next life through the veil of sleep 
and therefore maintain the integrity of her body-soul unity. That's a very, very good way of putting it, through the veil of sleep. I like that. Yes, very. <laughs> that's why we have you here, here uh, to help, help me articulate these very beautiful but sometimes awesome mind-busting co- concepts. They really are. And I think that one in particular <laughs> is quite difficult. And thank God for Jesus's own resurrection. Yes. I mean, that is really the basis of everything that we believe. We really couldn't embrace the assumption of Mary if we didn't have Jesus's resurrection and the fact that Jesus is the model and the prototype for all of us. And what's beautiful about Mary is Mary is the perfect disciple or the perfect icon of the church. And so we look to Mary to see what is our ultimate human destiny because she was fully human and the most perfect example of what the grace of Christ can do in all of our lives. Yeah, we have to remember that whatever happened to Christ, as, as you're saying here, Katrina, and the mother of God was meant to have happened to us at the beginning but it was lost because of original sin. But it was then restored and taken to yet a whole new level through Jesus Christ and his blessed mother. In other words, because they become the new Adam and the new Eve. Through Jesus Christ and the Virgin Mary, the human race, in a sense, was reconceived. It was like remade again. A new Adam and a new Eve. These, This Adam and this Eve, though, would do what the first Adam and Eve did not do. They would remain completely faithful to the Father. And so they would realize and model for us in their human nature, in Christ's human nature, and also the Mother of God, of course, in her human nature, they would model for us that original intention of our at our creation and also our ultimate destiny. And that is, as we've been saying here in this feast day, articulates for us the passing of ourselves into the next life and our bodies and souls together, intact, reunited, glorified, spiritualized, made splendid for all eternity. That is our destiny. And it was modeled, it was experienced, as you're saying, Katrina, especially in the Mother of God, ahead of time because she was without sin. So she didn't have to die in the way that we die. No, and for me, I find that the reason I think I love this feast day is because it is a real source of hope. I think think if there's one thing that our world really needs a fresh outpouring of, it's hope. Yes. Which is partly why I wrote the book When Life Doesn't Go Your Way is because I encountered so many people who were experiencing pain and suffering either in their own lives or the lives of others. And so they were really lacking in hope. And the assumption, as well as John Paul II's writings on heaven and theology of the body, have, I could say, I guess in a way, injected my life with a hope that is really supernatural and one that I could never have arrived on my own. And so what it has done in me is it has created in me this intense yearning and desire for heaven that I never had before. And I know some people think of heaven as kind of a boring place, uh, kind of, you know, time time without end of which they really don't know what they're going to be doing for all eternity. <laughs> And for me, once again, because of Mary and because of theology of the body, I think hope is kind of like, I suppose we could call it a a sunburst, or I like to think of it as the center of the monstrance. It's it's this dynamic, power-filled place where we will be living in present moment for all eternity, all that we desire in terms of love and union and perfection. And, And Mary, for me, continually draws my gaze 
back to that reality as I look to her and how the Holy Spirit already perfected her by grace. After all, that's what the angel said to her. Um, Hail, full of grace. And it, it really, in the Greek, is hail, she who has been perfected by grace. So it's already an accomplished work. When we return, we're going to talk more about this magnificent feast of the Dormition of the Mother of God or the Assumption of the Mother of God. I'm Father Thomas Loya here with Katrina Zeno on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, an Eastern Catholic priest and host of Light of the East Radio. As an Eastern Catholic, my spiritual and family heritage comes from Central Europe, a land that is all too familiar with religious persecution and assaults upon religious liberty. Precisely because of my spiritual and family background as an Eastern Catholic, it is with a certain credibility and urgency that I want to warn Americans of the danger of the recent health and human services mandate forcing religious institutions to do something against their consciences. Far from being just a simple piece of a government-inspired healthcare plan, the health and human services mandate springs from the same philosophies and worldviews that eventually led to the all-out persecution and assault on religious liberty in the areas of the world such as Eastern and Central Europe, Russia, and the Middle East. I am asking all of you to contact your government representatives and to support the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops in getting our government to rescind this unprecedented encroachment on religious liberty. You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya, your host. We're here with Katrina Zeno, our special guest and good friend here at Light of the East. And she's helping me to try to meditate, to contemplate this incredible mystery of the Dormition, the falling asleep of the Mother of God, or as we say in the in, as they say in the Western Church, the Western lung of the Church, the Assumption of the Mother of God. Either way, the idea is that Mary, the new Eve, realizes now what we only hope to have in time when we're saved, if we are saved and go to heaven, that our bodies and souls are reunited, back intact again, integrated human beings, but in a glorified, spiritualized state. Well, she enjoyed that on earth because she was without sin. During the liturgical services for this feast day, we we sing about this great event. We, We sing and express the theology through the text of the prayers. For instance, we say this, In you, O pure virgin, the laws of nature were overcome. In giving birth, you remained a virgin, and in your death, heralded life. You remained a virgin after giving birth, and remained alive after death, always saving your descendants, O Mother of God. We also sing this, O Theotokos, Christ your Son and our God, confirmed his two natures because he died as a man and rose as God. O Mother of God, he also consented that you die according to the law of nature so that unbelievers might not question the workings of providence. O Heavenly Bride, you were taken from earth as though from the bridal chamber and entered heaven. The atmosphere was sanctified by your passage through it, just as earth was illumined by your giving birth. 
The apostles assembled, and the angels carried you aloft. After having buried your most pure body and having sung hymns, they gazed in awe and fearfully said, This is the ransom of the right hand of God, because he is in your midst, and he will not be moved. O most honored mother, do not forsake us who look upon you. We are your people and the sheep of your fold. We invoke your name and ask for salvation and great mercy. It's interesting, Katrina, in these ancient texts, and I was reading up on this a bit, starting doing a extra study in the some of the Catholic sources about this idea of, in this question, did she die? Did she really die? Or did she just totally go into the next life? And I think the phrase that you used was, was very appropriate. We said it was kind of through the veil of sleep that she entered body and soul into heaven. They, they had to, according to the tradition of the church, they, they did have a body that seemed to be dead, or, or some state like that, that the apostles did put into a tomb. Because the story goes that the apostles returned to that tomb to visit that body, and that's when they found that that body was gone. So I think the other part of this, too, is that we probably can't think of this so much in chronological time, but more like chronos time. In other words, when did this happen? How did this actually happen? Was she already passing into the next life? And just, just there was this kind of timelessness where it seemed like she was dead for a while, then she passed on the next life, or what exactly happened? And as I read the sources, they said that you can actually believe or interpret it either way, but the important thing is, is that she entered heaven, body, and soul intact together. That is the important dimension, which we must believe by faith. And I think it's one of those situations that you so often like to describe as mystery. <laughs> part of it is revealed, part of, and yeah. part of it remains veiled. And so, like so many things, you're right, what we must believe by faith is that Mary is present in heaven now, body and soul. Because actually in the decree on the Assumption, which is very beautiful, it was released in, on November 1st, 1950. It talks about Mary being present in heaven as body and soul because the soul is not a person. Only the soul joined to a body is a person. And I think sometimes we forget this, mm-hmm. particularly because sometimes we tend to use the language of uh, we oh we have to pray for souls you know we have to we tend to replace person with soul yes. and so I always encourage people instead of saying well we need to pray for you know for for Christ to save this person's soul mm-hmm. really what we need to pray is for Christ to save this person yeah exactly Christ the whole that, person yeah we often say that I mean we had to save our souls or Christ didn't come to save souls he came to save the person <laughs> he did and we are persons body and soul united and. I think that's why Mary is such a source of hope for us. One of the ways that I have come to look at how some people approach Mary is they kind of approach Mary as icing on the cake. Mm, Like, just give me the cake of Jesus and leave the icing of Mary aside. And a feast like the Assumption or the Dormition shows us, no, 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 Mary isn't just icing on the cake. She's part of the cake. As I said before, she shows us exactly what the grace of Christ wants to accomplish in us. Right. And in your book now, Katrina, I'm going to read from your book the section on Mary. And you have a section that says, God's rainbow. It says this, over the years, the Catholic Church's emphasis on Mary has been vigorously criticized. Isn't Jesus enough? Why do we need Mary? Doesn't she detract from Jesus' saving death? Far from detracting from Jesus' life and death, Mary is the rainbow of God. Mary, like a rainbow, makes it possible to see what's usually hidden from view. Even though we know light is composed of a spectrum of colors, we see the fullness of this truth when a beautiful rainbow arches across the sky. 
Likewise, even though we know Jesus' death upon the cross forgives sins and heals our relationship with God, we see the fullness of this truth when we gaze upon the beauty of Mary arching across history. Everything the church says about Mary flows from the cross in God's generosity. God paints the rainbow of Mary to make the abstract truths of the faith concrete for us. That's a very fine presentation for a day and age about Mary. And, and as you say, that place, her, her right place, how we should really see her. And this also strikes a wonderful chord for uh, the Eastern churches, for me as a Byzantine priest too, because you mention in here, and this is what we say about Mary, especially in relation to her iconography, the icons of Mary, is that essentially what you're saying here is what we say in the East is that she is what God made her. She, she is only what God has given and made her. And in turn, it is she who presents God to us. So there's sort of a reciprocity. In the icons, Mary is always seen with Christ. There's only one icon which she's not seen with, and that had to do with a miracle, a vision. But in every other way, Christ is either implied or actually present because it is he who makes her who she is. Anything said about Mary is a statement on Christ. That, that's exactly right. That is one of the things I love to emphasize when I speak on Mary. I will often say everything the church says about Mary is only because of Jesus and the Father's love. And of course, we can add to that by the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and I think that's often very healing for people to hear, that connection, that everything the church says about Mary is only because of Jesus and the Father's love and generosity. Another part from your book, and again, I'm reading from Katrina Zeno's book, Discovering the Feminine Genius, Every Woman's Journey. And by the way, Katrina, where could people find out more about you or get this book? Well, it's very easy to get the book online on any uh, Amazon.com or other things like that. And it's available both as in print version and in e-version. If people want to know more about me and my speaking ministry, they can go to my website, which is WTTM.org. I oversee an organization called Women of the Third Millennium. And so those are just simply the letters of that, WTTM.org. Another excerpt from your book, Making the Trinity Concrete. Mary is a precious gift to each Christian because Mary is an icon of the Trinity. Now, you know I'm going to love that. Yes, of course, Father Tom. (laughs) In her, the entire mystery of the Trinity is enfleshed. The Holy Spirit espouses himself to Mary to conceive the word of God in her and lead all creation back to the Father. Mary is a daughter of the Father, mother of the Savior, and bride of the Spirit. As we say, yes, we become more like Mary. We enter more deep into the self-giving mystery of the Trinity, and the Holy Spirit helps to heal the spousal meaning of our body. Through our daily life in the Spirit, we gradually recover our ability to live in union and communion with God, with others, with nature, within ourselves, between body and spirit. I'm a bit stunned that you would pick that out because as I was sitting here thinking during the break, all right, Father Tom's going to ask me, how does Mary apply to us as women? And I was trying to think, okay, of everything said in my book, what is the one summary statement? And that's actually the one I came up with, <laughs> which was when you asked me the question, but I'm going to answer it before you ask me. So how, <laughs> what does Mary display for us as women? And it is precisely that summary statement. She is daughter of the Father, mother of the Son, and spouse of the Spirit. If, if we want to know what is our dignity, what is our vocation, what is our calling as women— Mary sums it up in about as compact a package as we can possibly get. 
that she is daughter of the Father, every woman must come to know in the very depths of her being that her foundational identity is not as a wife or as a mother or as a cook or as a secretary or a nurse or a teacher or an accountant, but the foundational identity of every woman is a daughter of the Father. And we see that grounded in Mary. But that's not our only identity. We are also as Mary is mother of the Son. We're all called to be spiritual mothers. We all have an empty space, a sacred space within us, which within which we're called to receive others and to nurture their emotional, moral, and spiritual life. And so in that sense, each of us is called, whether we're single, married, celibate, uh, single again, widow, old, young, we're all called to spiritual motherhood. And then finally, each of us is not only called into a relationship with God as daughter of the Father and as as someone who bears Christ to the world, but we're also called into an intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit, into a spousal relationship with God. And by that, I don't mean something that supplants or replaces necessarily a human spousal relationship, although for those who are called to the celibate or consecrated life, it, it could. But what that means is each of us is called not in just into a paternal relationship with God, but this intimate, spousal, total self-giving relationship with Jesus Christ. Well, Katrina, I want to thank you for being a spiritual mother to our listeners today on Light of the East. I want to thank all of you for listening. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To find out more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue this program with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount would be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East 14610. Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610, Will Cook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K, Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God bless you and grant you many happy years. <laughs>